Hello and welcome to the BBK Free Speech Podcast. My name is Deepti Patel and I'm an Associate Solicitor in the Adult Brain Injury Department at Bolt Bed and Kemp. Today I am joined by Sarah Crossland in our three-part podcast series. Sarah is a brain tumour survivor, she's an endurance athlete, an author and a campaigner amongst everything else. So we're going to kick off the third part of this series, talking about Sarah's really incredible physical achievements. Hi, Sarah. Hi. So I've read your book and it's called Sick Bed to Summit. It's absolutely brilliant. And if you haven't read it, our listeners, I really encourage you to do so. You were, of course, diagnosed with an acoustic neuroma, which is a type of non-malignant, non-cancerous brain tumour. And one of the things that really struck me when reading your book, and actually it's, it's the essence of your book, was the fact that despite that you had this diagnosis, despite that you underwent really quite gruelling symptoms and gruelling surgery, you decided that actually this isn't going to stop me. I'm not just going to go back to the life that I had before, but I'm going to achieve so much more than that. And you've done some incredible things. And if you haven't read the book, there's lots of things that Sarah talks about. She had done, you know, three weeks post-surgery, you learned to ride a bike. Uh, eight weeks post-surgery, you did the Chester Race for Life. You did, you've done charity skydives. You've been ha- hiking in the Alps. You've done the Three Peaks Challenge. And we're going to talk about your um, scaling Mount Tupacal as well in Morocco. So first of all, what, what has driven you? I think when you come so close to it being lights out and everything being taken away from you, I mean, I remember after my surgery lying in bed, unable to walk independently, it took me about 15 minutes to walk from my bed, supported with two people to a chair that was a metre and a half away. And I remember that day thinking I would give anything to just be able to get up and do, you know, go running or, or do whatever. And it all seemed so far away that I think... I just I just embraced life, I suppose. You know, anyone that's gone through a serious illness like that will tell you, I think, exactly the same, that, you know, it takes almost the threat of something being taken away from you altogether for you to appreciate what you've got. Um, and, I, and I just, it gave me a newfound appreciation for life. And I think I've just thought, well, if I can move, I'll move and I'll do it for charity. I'd always wanted to do a skydive. And like most of us, things got in the way. I couldn't find somebody to do it with. I just came up with excuses, really, as to why I couldn't do this skydive. But then I mistakenly assumed that because I'd had my head fiddled with, that would no no longer be an option. And I was really quite gutted that I'd not just done it when I wanted to years ago. So I remember going in for my six-week checkup and asking my surgeon if I'd be all right to do anything at altitude because... I know, you know, brains are complicated, aren't they? And, and there's all different issues associated with pressure and um, cerebral spinal fluid and things like that. And I just thought to myself, well, I'm going to ask him. He can only say no. So he said, yeah, absolutely fine, no problem. I don't think he... I never stipulated it was for a skydive and I don't think he, <laughs> he thought it would be for a skydive. So a few weeks later, I had one pop up on my Facebook page um, and it was for Northwest Air Ambulance. I just thought, right, that'll do. Paid the deposit. We'll worry about the details later. So we, I started my fundraising and we went on holiday. And while I was away, I got a phone call from the 
the event organiser and she said, oh, just read your GoFundMe story. Um, she said, um, have you had medical permission to do this? I was like, oh, well, um, kind of looked into it. And she said, oh, really, you need to get this signed off. So I sent the form over to my surgeon. I said, well, I'm hoping to do this. Please can you sign it off? And he said, yeah, no problem. Commended me on doing it. Um, it was such a good cause. And I, I did the skydive, which was incredible. Um, and then after, I'm trying to think what I did after that. Then I went back to the Alps and that was that was a bit bittersweet because I think having done the skydive and all, I'd set myself so many little goals just to get me through recovery, but I'd achieved perhaps what I'd expected to take 12 months within the space of a few months. So we went over to the Alps, which is somewhere we've enjoyed going before, and went hiking. And it was then I realised that perhaps I wasn't quite as recovered as I thought I was. I really struggled with fatigue. Um, there was one occasion when... We were out walking and my husband said, look, we, we need to turn back because we're not going to get back before it gets dark and we're going to miss the last train down off this mountain and, and all these other reasons. And I was like, no, no, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. But no, I wasn't. And I had to turn back quite reluctantly. There were a few falls along the way. Um, we went mountain biking. And again, I think where I'd been cycling at home quite confidently on cycle paths, although when I say I go cycling... I can do it. It's not as easy as it used to be. So to then take that from a cycle path scenario onto like a proper mountain bike trail, um, it was quite a challenge and one that left me feeling quite sick. And I think I fell off a couple of times and had a, a bit of a fit about it at some point and got quite angry with myself. So I, I came back from that holiday feeling a bit deflated. Um, then the following year, I did the Yorkshire Three Peaks Challenge sort of to mark the first anniversary of my surgery. So it was around, it was, I think I had my surgery in the May and this was the beginning of June 2019. So the Yorkshire Three Peaks Challenge involves climbing um, Wernside, Ingleborough and Penny Ghent in the Yorkshire Dales. And you're supposed to complete it in under 12 hours and we managed to do it in, I think it was about 10 hours 24. So I was really quite pleased with that. And then we went back to the Alps later that year, had a much better time out there. And then I was given the opportunity to go over to Morocco, just purely by chance. Um, someone had picked up an injury and was unable to go. So I went to make up numbers. And yeah, that's kind of what inspired me to to write the story, because it kind of brought that part of my life to a bit of a conclusion at that point. Um, needless to say, since then, it, it's continued. So since then... I then went through a bit of a rocky patch because I'd lost a couple of friends to cancer and another friend committed suicide and there was the whole, why am I still here? Which, and to this day, I still go through phases of, of thinking like that and I have to kind of pull myself out of it a little bit because um, it seems so unfair and, you know, the tumour I had affects one in 50,000, you know. Mm. Why did I get the non-malignant one and, and yet, you know, the 20-year-old you know, in the next town's got the, the life-threatening one. But, you know, that's something I've had to come to terms with and it is a challenge and I did need to have a bit of support with dealing with that at the time. And again, you know, that's another another valuable thing about um, support groups is that you find out about these services that you may not know are available. Yes. So by talking to people, you, you do find out more about what is out there and what help you can get. Um, I went on from that once I picked myself out of that little rut and decided I was going to run an ultramarathon. I've never run a marathon in my life. I swore at one point that I'd never run a marathon. You couldn't pay me. 
and then I decided to enter a 100-kilometre race um, in the Lake District of all places as well, which is by no means flat. And that should have taken place in 2020, but unfortunately that pandemic came along, so that scuppered those plans. So instead... Um, as I trained right up to literally right up to the event I think it was only cancelled a couple of weeks before so you've got all this energy because you've trained for the event and then nothing was happening as a lot of athletes found out at that time so I created my own event and I ran along the sandstone trail in Cheshire which is about 35 miles so I did that on my own with a bit bit of support from my husband and a friend along the way and yeah the endurance bug bit big time so the following year the original event was back on so I completed that twice and then I had some crazy idea at some point of I think actually during lockdown I'd followed um, Carla Molinaro's progress as she did the world record for um, Land's End to John O'Groats and Speedo Mick obviously he'd he'd done the top down so I thought you know what if they can do it why why can't I, you know, and that's that's the approach I like to think I have now, you know, there, there's so many times I used to think, well, what if I can't do something? So now I try to think, but what if I can? So I had a chat with my coach and he was like, well, there's no reason why you couldn't give it a go. So I trained up for that and last September, so September 2022, 20, mm. I set off from Land's End, got four days in, um, 169 miles, I think it was, and got pulled because of injuries um, that I didn't tell anybody about stupidly earlier on so I had um, suspected stress fracture shin splints and acute tendonitis in my left leg my feet were wrecked because we'd hit really bad weather and um, my feet were just constantly wet so that was a bit disastrous so I'm not entirely proud you know of of that event as such but I am proud that I went back and I actually completed it so in March this year, um, I went back and I finished, not in the way I'd hoped, um, and again, riddled with injuries, but I did it. But so you did it. Yeah, because it, it had just sort of taken up so much of my life in planning and, and training and what have you. I just, I couldn't leave it undone. You've ticked that one I've ticked that box. List. I don't want to do it again, though. <laughs> Your the physical pursuits that you've done and how you've pushed yourself along the way is just absolutely incredible um and it's it's just as if you've got these you set these challenges for yourself and there may be things that set you back like the injuries you've talked about but you don't let it stop you and you you're so determined to get to that next stage and reach your own limits you know you don't have a limit you just keep pushing it further and further which is incredible Tell us about your trip to Mount Tukval, because I think in your book, it outlines that, you know, this place suddenly came up, there wasn't much planning involved, and you suddenly took a decision, I think maybe you had two weeks notice, and you decided, actually, yes, I'm going to go for it, you know, this is a great opportunity for me. And we've talked about the fact that you have, you know, you have to perhaps plan more, given the impact of your brain tumour. And yet you still managed to think, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And really, and, and you did, and you did brilliantly. So tell us about that trip. So that was that was nerve-wracking. Um, it was, yeah, about two weeks' notice I had. 
And I remember getting to the day before and I think that's when I became unravelled a little bit by what's happened to me because my organisational skills now aren't great. And so I was trying to pack 15 kilograms worth of luggage into a stuffer bag because Mm. there was a weight limit as it was being carried by mules through the mountains. And I'd gone over on the weight limit, but I could not, in my head, I couldn't figure out what I needed and what I didn't need. So my husband was like, right, just take it all out, we'll start again. But I was having a total meltdown over over this packing and I remember I developed a new tinnitus on that occasion which lasted until I got there and started oh, doing what right. I was doing so I had like a a pulsatile tinnitus mm-hmm. as well which I knew was totally self-inflicted so on top of this noise that I have 24-7 in my head I then discovered that by stressing more over situations that I can't really control I was making it even worse So a big part of my recovery has been like looking at my lifestyle and and looking at things that are going to impact me and trying to sort of limit that damage almost. So again, it comes down to planning. And and I think I'm fortunate in that I've worked with children with special needs. So many of the strategies I've picked up along the way in working with those children, I can apply to myself. So whether it's having my makeup in a clear plastic bag so I can see what's in there Mm. and I'm not I'm not panicking that something isn't where it should be and things like that. So, yeah, organisation wasn't great, but I got there. Um, I was worried about my fatigue. And even things like, you know, developing a headache along the way because obviously we were at altitude and that's one of the symptoms of mountain sickness. Um, I was panicking a little bit, thinking, do I tell people I've got this? They're going to turn me back and not let me summit. And I was like, no, just suck it up and carry on. So I carried on. And um, we had a, a medic with us anyway. But, you know, I, I went on, I did the the summit. And the, the mad thing about that day is that we were planning to summit quite early in the morning, but the French contingent that we were sharing a dormitory with had decided they were going to go even earlier. Whereas we'd packed all our stuff the night before, they decided to do it there and then at like three in the morning. So (laughs) they woke everybody up. And I was just, I was getting myself in a state thinking, I've got to do this with fatigue and now you're keeping me awake. And I was was kind of angry with them, angry with me, frustrated because I couldn't do anything about it. But, you know, I got up, we we had our breakfast and, and we did it, you know. So that raised that bar for me. So now I think, well, actually... If I can get up a mountain on about three hours sleep, I can do, you know, this 10-mile run that I've got to do, even though I don't feel like it, you know. Mm-hmm. So each time, you know, you talk about me pushing those limits. I think each time I push those limits, it shows me, actually, I am a bit capable of a bit more than what yeah. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that's the reason I like to keep doing these things. And I think also it shows other people as well that, well, maybe, you know, you have got this going on, but you can still. You can Yes, do it. it's not always pleasant, mm. but you can push it a little bit. Um, I mean, I think a big problem for a lot of people is they don't like being uncomfortable, do they? We like to take the easy option, but sometimes you just have to push yourself. Mm. So, yeah, tube cal was certainly an experience, um, and it's one that I'm hoping to repeat next year, but I won't be going on my own. I'll be taking a group of brain tumour survivors with me. Absolutely, and... This is the really exciting part of the podcast where you're going to tell our listeners about your community interest company, so the Beyond Recovery Project. And you intend to take a group of other brain tumour survivors to Mount Tukbell next year. Tell us about that. I mean, that sounds such 
a fantastic opportunity for people that are interested in pushing their own limits um, and to be with like-minded people that have gone through similar experiences. So tell our listeners about that. I feel that I was quite lucky to be given the opportunity that I was to go and take on that challenge myself. And it's something that had been at the back of my mind for a while. I'd wanted to sort of give back, I suppose, in some respects. And um, yeah, I had the idea of going back to TubeCal and taking some people with me um, just to show them what they're capable of as well. Because I think it was the TubeCal trip for me that really sort of set that bar high and has allowed me to continue to do the other ridiculous stuff I've done since. But um, yeah, so this this idea had been brewing for a while. Now, after I finished my Land's End to John O'Groat's attempt um, earlier this year, I got in a bit of a rut with my running and all sorts. And uh, my husband and I had gone over to um, the French Alps and we were out on this bit of rock one day on quite an exposed uh, ledge and it was unexpected but it was that really that gave me my my zest I suppose back for getting back out there I'd missed that buzz of mm. doing something exciting like that so I thought right, I'm going to get back and I'm going to I'm going to not just talk about doing this we're going to put a date on it so I did I spoke to um, a guy I know who has contacts out in Morocco and, and we fixed a date and then I thought right okay so I started posting online and you know a, a number of individuals contacted me one in particular to give you an example um it's a guy who used to be in the military um he's had the same tumor as me mm-hmm. um, he had surgery about a year ago and he went from obviously leading a very fit active lifestyle to doing less than 2000 steps a day and, you know, he said he, despite having climbed Kilimanjaro and done other great feats prior to his diagnosis, he didn't think he could do anything like that ever again. But then, like he said, you know, obviously I'm thinking about it. So I said, well, you know, if the space becomes available, you're in. So, and the space did become available. And he's now out doing like 15 kilometre training walks, which is just Brilliant. absolutely amazing. And it really brings home to me why I want this to happen. And it kind of developed from there. So that, that was the initial idea. I've then gone on to form a community interest company called the Beyond Recovery Project. And the aim of that is to bring together people from similar brain tumour backgrounds because I think there's a lot of support out there when you're diagnosed, when you're actually going through the thick of it and the, the treatments that you're having. But beyond that, where do you go? And that's something I struggled with. I kind of felt a bit lost with it all. And I felt by doing something like this, it would give people a purpose again, just something to aim for. And for me, goal setting has been really important in moving forward. So I thought, well, if I can set this up and have perhaps one international trip a year, like the Morocco trip, which will be going on next June, but also to have UK-based activities as well. So hiking, forest walks, um, bushcraft, you know, outdoor art and photography. Um, Personally, I feel like nature is the best medicine and often Mm. the least prescribed medicine. So it's about getting people out there, sharing like the healing power and the optimism that nature gives with other people as well and just giving them a sense of purpose and something to aim for and then showing them that actually, yes, this has happened, but look what you've achieved. I think you're... That sounds absolutely incredible. It's really going to give people an opportunity to do things that they never believed that perhaps might be accessible to them or that they'd be capable of. Mm. You're looking for sponsorship, are you? 
We are indeed, yeah. So, yeah, we have a lot of sort of individual donors that have come forward. I will be running Chester Marathon in October this year with Andrew, who Mm -hmm. is a fellow brain tumour survivor. That's our warm-up, because two weeks after that, we're then going to be running across the country, because it seemed rude just to go from bottom to top. So we're now (laughs) going across along the Hadrian's Wall Trail between the 21st and the 23rd of October. Again, we'll be fundraising. Mm Um, with a group of other people as well who supported me during my Land's End to John O'Groats challenge. You know, I've, I've got lots of personal challenges that I'm doing for sponsorship, but yes, we really are looking for any businesses out there that would want to be associated with, with our cause and, you know, perhaps a shared interest, whether it's, you know, working with people with brain injury or, you know, um, helping to rehabilitate people or, you know, um, putting specialist equipment in place for people you know anything like that is for me it's it means a lot that people have a vested interest in the actual cause and the reason that we're doing this not just to tick the box to say we're supporting a charity um yeah so i'm I'm really hopeful that we'll reach i think we we need in the region of seven thousand pounds to get the trip to morocco and obviously ongoing um because it's not going to be a one-off you know we'd be looking for people who want to be more heavily involved Mm -hmm. And how can people sponsor you? Do you have a Just Giving page? We do have a, go, um, we have a GoFundMe page Go at the minute. Brilliant. Uh, we'll, we'll put those details <laughs> in brilliant. the um, blurb to the podcast for anybody that wants to donate. Perfect. You, of course, have your own website as yes, well. Yes, we do. So. Um, and that's sarahcrossland.com, yeah. isn't it? And we have got a Beyond Recovery website now as well. So Great. that's www.thebeyondrecoveryproject.org. And there's lots of information on there and ways to contact us as well. Brilliant. And of course, as I've said before, and I'll say this many times, please read Sarah's book if you haven't already and share it far and wide. Now, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Sarah. Just before we end today, I wanted to ask you what your perhaps two or three best tips would be to somebody who's listening to this that's been diagnosed with a brain tumour or a non-malignant brain tumour. Okay, so that was a really tough question, actually. Um, Some mulling over. So um, one thing I came up with was to make sure that you have someone with you. So, you know, you go into these appointments to be told that you've you've got whatever. And then obviously there's all the follow-up appointments. And there's so much information that you have to take on board. And it's quite overwhelming. So it's good to always have somebody with you who can maybe take notes or who can remember things a bit more clearly than you can and then obviously you can go back and say what did they say about such and such Mm. Um, so that's really helpful Um, and also sadly some people aren't told in the best of circumstances as to you know what the issues are I was talking recently with a girl who turned up for an appointment with a neurosurgeon so she'd had an MRI after some of the symptoms she'd been experiencing, went for this appointment and he was straight away speaking to her about brain surgery. She didn't even know Gosh. that she had a brain tumour. So obviously all of that came as a massive shock to her. Um, yeah, so again, that's another reason to have a bit of backup support with you. Um And I think that's also one really for medical professionals to take on board as well, you know, maybe wait until someone's got, you know, that support with Mm. them or even have another member of staff there who can hold your hand or just offer that bit of comfort, you know, if you're there on your own. The second thing I came up with was not to be afraid to ask for a second opinion. Mm. 
because there are so many different experiences across the country. You know, a neurosurgeon will probably favour the surgical approach. A radiotherapist obviously favour that, you know, radiation treatment. And, you know, you have to be really comfortable with the decision that you make and make sure that you have all the information that you need to make that informed decision. And also, you know, don't be frightened to ask how many times they've carried out that procedure. You know, I know my surgeon told me he'd done his over 400 times. They were doing maybe one or two surgeries a week at Salford Royal. That gave me a lot of confidence because I've, I've spoken to other people who have asked their neurosurgeon, have they carried out surgery for an acoustic neuroma? And they'd say maybe once or twice. Wow. That's in a career, you know, yeah. not just weekly. Mm. Um, and obviously, the more they're doing it, the more they can improve the outcomes of the patient I think and don't be afraid to speak to other people as well and ask what their hospital experiences were as well and then finally and you know this for me is still a big one even today just to take each day or hour or minute at a time you know it's easy to become overwhelmed with things especially when things don't go to plan um but just remember that the worst days only have 24 hours you know tomorrow's a new day and a fresh start so we get up and we carry on sorry you've been absolutely incredible i think that is really valuable advice and our listeners will surely appreciate it so thank you so much for coming on to our podcast we really appreciate it and if you're listening to this and you want some more information or want to get in touch with sarah you can do so via her website as she's described um, and if you're concerned about a brain tumor diagnosis um, our solicitors at bolt bird and kemp in the adult brain injury team have experience in dealing with brain tumors so please go on our website and get in touch and thank you very much for listening thanks so much for listening you can catch the bbk free speech podcast on all listening platforms goodbye